verse-by-verse uh, verse study through a book would be uh, occasioned by uh, either a move by the Spirit, I just feel like uh, uh, the Spirit's telling me to, to preach on something different, uh, or um, occasionally uh, I believe in practical pastoring. And so uh, I think God put a brain between our ears uh, to be used. And uh, so I'm a, I'm a uh, thinker, a studier, uh, and uh, occasionally things uh, kind of messages write themselves, right? And, uh, and so uh, that's actually the occasion for our, uh, our, our change or our deviation from Galatians this week. Uh, you know, the role of the prophet in the Old Testament, a lot of times people associate a prophet with prophecy. And by prophecy, they think uh, automatically they think uh, foretelling of the future. Well, that was part of a prophet's job, but other times, uh, and probably most of the time, the prophet's job was simply to speak for God. Uh, to a particular uh, thing in the, the climate uh, of the day, uh, a cultural issue of the day. And so the prophet would speak to those things. It was a messenger for God. Uh, and that's the, uh, that's the nature of our, our deviation this week. So last week, just to kind of tie this to our study, because I think it, it actually does kind of segue well. Uh, we're in Galatians, and we're talking about Paul standing firm. Uh, Paul was standing firm for his position, the, the gospel that he first preached to the Galatians. Um, and that gospel was a gospel of Jesus plus nothing, a gospel of grace plus nothing. And these Judaizers, we learned a new word last week, uh, um, for some of you probably was not a new word, but these Judaizers wanted to add to that. They said, yeah, we, we get that, that's a really great message that Jesus plus nothing, grace plus nothing, and I can be saved, but uh, I'd rather add something to it. I'd like to add my good works, I'd like to add my circumcision, I'd like, I'd like to add, that way I feel like I have some ownership in this. The problem is we have no ownership in it. Uh, we, we could not help ourselves, and he helped us, helped us at a time we couldn't help ourselves. Uh, and so I thank God for that. We've all, when we came to Christ, we all were at a moment of, uh, uh, of in humility. We said, we can't do it ourselves. I recognize I'm a sinner, and, and, uh, and I can't do this life on my own. I've tried it, and I've failed over and over and over again. By God's grace, we don't have to be 51% righteous. We, uh, we, just, we stand in Christ's righteousness. We seen as Christ is seen by the Father uh, in victory. And so Paul was standing firm against those that would uh, add to the gospel. What Paul demonstrated, we must replicate. Uh, we must be faithful to those things in Scripture. It's why it matters so much to me that everything that we do uh, comes back to this book and accords with this book. Uh, to be certain, I've said this before, but not every truth is contained in this book. There's a whole lot of truth out there. Uh, the Spirit will guide us into all truth, but it will never deviate from nor contradict the written truth. And so we have to be grounded in that. But as we are faithful, as Paul was, we will see that our faithfulness will yield blessings. God will bless our work in ways that we can never hope to see uh, achievements uh, occur apart from His blessing. And so as we're faithful that He has been doing that for us, I see a momentum building in the hearts and in the, in the attitudes and the voices of, of Ign people of Ignite Christian Church. And I'm excited along with you to, to get started, to get our hands, uh, our fingernails dirty, and, our, and as I can say, our, our backs tired in kingdom work. I want to be tired when Christ returns. I want to be hurting. But it's a good hurt. And I want to be hurting because I'm building the kingdom. I want to be tired because I'm putting my hand to the plow and not, not looking back. We see some momentum of building. We had a couple weeks ago we hit the 100 mark. And I told you before, I'm not big on numbers. Except for that those numbers represent people, and I am big on people. Um, and if we believe people can be reached and touched through the ministry here at Ignite, we want them in this building on Sunday morning. Uh, you know, it was, it's, uh, Ed and I were talking this morning, and uh, 
Sometimes we can, we can lay at your feet a more difficult task than you're up to. And sometimes it can be disheartening. Um, he was talking about a reach Chicago for Jesus, which is it's an impossible task for a small group of people. But if we can reduce it to each one, reach one. Uh, just work on that person that you know is on the fence. Think of somebody in your head right now that you know is on the fence regarding Jesus, regarding the gospel. And you make it your life's goal, your life's aim to bring them that much closer to the cross this week. Each one reach one. You don't have to, you don't have to win the world. The battle's already won in Christ. Just worry about, just set your mind to, to those things that God presents to you week by week, day by day, and be faithful to it. So we see some momentum building. We saw the, the we reached the, the 100 mark the other week, and uh, if uh, you get the paper, uh, I don't. Uh, I did this week. Um, and, uh, that may seem self-serving. I was in it. <laughs> uh, so I only got three copies. I did. I really did. But, um, but we, had, we had a couple of people uh, who really were uh, spearheaded that effort and wanted to get, uh, capture this, this kind of turning point, this transitional period in the paper. And so they were faithful to that. And they, they contacted the paper. And uh, they reached out to me and um, had a phone interview. And so the result of that was that article you may have seen in the paper this week. Um, but I, I love being able to, to take advantage of those opportunities because we have a way of getting into the community. Um, others are talking about getting into contact with the police department, the fire department. In fact, just Wednesday night, I had uh, a police officer. We were locking up after worship practice. I think it was about 9.30 um, when we were leaving, and, and a police officer came in his squad car and uh, introduced himself as a brother in Christ. And God is just doing these things. He's networking for us. And I hate using secular terms like networking, but that's what he's doing. Uh, he's growing our web of influence, our network of influence. And, and those are things that we can't make happen. That just as I'm leaving, he has to be pulling in, saying, hey, I'd like to stop by sometime for service maybe. All right, so we thank God for that. And, and he, has been, he has been faithful to bless as we've been faithful uh, in obedience. But faithfulness is not to be taken for granted. Do you know that faithfulness is not our default position? How many people... Is this true? It's, it's, your, it's your default position to be faithful to something. Not for me. Uh, the moment I think that I can just kind of rest on my laurels or kind of take a, take a back seat or sit down, put my feet up, I begin to backslide. The moment my eyes are not fixed on Christ, I begin to backslide. I've used this analogy before. I think it's an apt analogy. I don't think I came up with it, but uh, if you stand in the ocean, turn away from the shore, look at the ocean, and just, just tell yourself, just stand still. Just stand still. Be there for half an hour. Just stand still. It's all you have to do is just stand still. And after half an hour, turn around and look how far you've come. That tide just kind of drifted you, pulled you back out to sea. It's a lot like our faith. So faithfulness is not to be taken for granted. It's not our default position. If we're not intentional about it, if we're not working at it, it will not happen. All right? So we need to be working at it all the time. And so last week we saw Paul being uh, faithful to stand firm. This week, uh, falling away prompts our departure. Uh, from the book of Galatians. Before I get into the uh, new content for the week, let's go ahead and uh, say a word of prayer. Lord and Father, I sense a, a, a strong need, Lord, for your spirit to be uh, here with us, Lord, to be, to be speaking through me. Lord, perhaps a, a shortcoming on my part, an inability on my part, Lord, to just uh, pray that you'd bridge that gap. Uh, Lord, might the words that I speak be the words that you'd have me to speak. 
And might something beautiful happen between my lips and, and, and their ears, Lord, that uh, is not explainable by human reason. Because you took some stumbling, bumbling preacher and delivered something beautiful to each and every person that's here this morning. Lord, I, I suspect this message will hit different people differently. And so I pray, Lord, ahead of this, that you'd go before the message. You'd prepare the hearts to be fertile ground to receive that which you've put on my heart to speak this morning. Lord, that the, the, the total weight, the real weight of, of the topic at hand, Lord, would be, would be felt. That literally eternity hangs in the balance. Lord, help me not to get in the way of that this morning. We thank you in advance, Lord, for the, the growth, the development that will come as a part of it. And we praise you for it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel the same way. The same way. That was an amen. It might have been in tongues, but it was, it was an amen nonetheless. All right, so if you're paying attention to social media or the news, the Christian news or anything like that, you're probably aware, at least uh, um, somewhat aware, of the fact that uh, very recently we've seen two, uh, two, I wouldn't call them pillars of the Christian faith, but uh, well-known voices for the Christian church uh, falling away from the faith. Uh, the first one was uh, a number of weeks ago, a guy named, by the name of Josh Harris. He wrote a book a number of years ago called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Uh, and admittedly, he said, uh, recently, he said that that book was probably wrong-headed. I, I probably was getting the cart before the horse and a little bit ahead of myself when I wrote that book. It's a little bit legalistic, a little bit kind of demanding and, and kind of uh, law-based, um, ritual-based. And he admitted that. He said in his older years, he said, I've had to repent of writing that book. I, don't, I no longer hold that position. They actually did a documentary on it, uh, on his change of heart and change of mind. Uh, so it's Josh Harris, if you want to look that up. But uh, uh, just a few weeks later, he announced that he and his wife were separating. And not long after that, he renounced his faith. Thousands of people have been touched by his book, his writing, his, his speaking. But he had this to say in the last part of it. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Those are heavy words. Christian meaning in, in its most basic sense, a Christ follower. I was following Christ, I'm not now. And you have to say, well, what was it that changed about you following him before that now you're not wanting to anymore? And more recently, a member, a singer-songwriter for probably the most well-known worship group in the world, Hillsong. One of their singer-songwriters has come to a similar conclusion. He says this on his Twitter or Instagram or some social media. He said, time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me now is nothing. I am so happy now, so at peace with the world, it's crazy. When I say that is crazy... If you're at peace with the world, you're not at peace with the king. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. If that is where you found your peace, I, I pity you. It's a sad day when we see two leaders in the Christian world 
Almost like they're supporting each other, coming out and saying, I no longer believe these things. It's sad. Time for some real talk. Yeah, it was time for some real talk probably months ago, years ago, when he started having these thoughts and he didn't address them then. And it makes me ask the question, is it more prevalent today for Christian leaders, Christian people in, in celebrity Christian circles, is it more prevalent today for them to fall away or are we simply more aware of it? You know, we, we, we live in the age of everyone has a, a camera. Most of them, even on your phone, are high definition, record hours. And so you could parallel this to, to something like... Uh, we ask the question, is, is there more police brutality? Are, are there more police officers using and abusing their authority? Or are we just more aware of it? I'm not trying to answer that question this morning. It's not really relevant, except that I'm just saying it's like that. Are we more aware of uh, those that are falling away from the faith because they have a platform to do it now because of the Internet? I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not trying to answer that question uh, here this morning. I just want you to be thinking about it. Uh, the reality is that falling away from the faith, making shipwreck of one's faith, walking your, away from your faith, renouncing your faith is not anything new. This has been happening for centuries, for thousands of years. In fact, we have plenty of biblical examples. Uh, Paul issues a warning to uh, Timothy, his protege, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He talks about people making shipwreck of their faith. Specifically, he's talking about Hymenaeus and Alexander. Uh, later, he would talk about an Alexander the coppersmith who did me much harm. I love how Paul follows it up. He says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And we can all say amen to that. Uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever suffered for Christ in any measurable way, and most of us don't really suffer. Uh, we're mocked, we're made fun of, we're ridiculed sometimes, but we're not really persecuted. But, but you can say a hearty amen. That the, the, the God of, uh, of justice, the God that will do uh, all things right, will eventually balance the scales and make it right. But Hymenaeus and Alexander made shipwreck of their faith and Paul warns Timothy about people like them and against doing the same things himself. Galatians chapter 1, we've been in Galatians lately. Verses 6 and 7, he, he excoriates the Galatian churches. He says, how quickly you've deserted. That's a military term for going AWOL. How quickly you've deserted the one who called you by grace. The faith in the gospel. And then Paul again to Timothy in 2 Timothy says, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. So Paul, imagine Paul in, 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 uh, in the throes of execu awaiting execution. And he's got only a few friends left. He says, everyone's deserted me. And now here's Demas who loves this present world. And that's not like he loves fancy cars and he loves, uh, he loves all the best robes and purple, purple clothes and purple is a sign of royalty. It's not all those things. He loves staying alive. And association with Paul was a good way to not be alive anymore. Demas loved this present world too much. He deserted me. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. Jesus is speaking a bunch of hard truths that are difficult even for the disciples to accept. He says a lot of people withdrew from him. They stopped following him because of that. And then John again in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says, Those that went out from us, you know that they were never of us because they went out from us. They left us, they departed from us, and so they were really never of us in the first place. And then we've made application a couple times recently of Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, the seed sown among thorns. The worries and cares of this life choke out. The attempt of that seed to germinate and to grow 
So we see it all throughout the Bible. It's nothing new. This idea of apostasy. It's another word you might hear. Apostasy, falling away, making shipwreck of your faith. These are all synonyms for the same thing. Now, if I, if I see the name Billy Graham, I don't doubt that everybody in this room, probably everyone in the room, knows who Billy Graham is or at least has heard his name, right? Let me get a show of hands. Who has heard of Charles Templeton? Okay, m- much fewer. A handful of hands have heard of Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton worked uh, hand-in-hand with Billy Graham in the early years of their ministry. Charles Templeton had what sounded, for all intents and purposes, sounded like a, a, a more impressive conversion story than Billy Graham did. Charles Templeton would speak to thousands of people as charismatically and as, and, and as able-tongued as Billy Graham would. The difference was that in 1995, Charles Templeton would write a book called Farewell to God. Why I'm walking away from my faith. After all those years... Another scholar, Bart Ehrman. Anybody heard of him? Bart Ehrman? I'm getting into real nerd territory now. Bart Ehrman is a textual critic. He, he takes written manuscripts and he collates them. He, he compares them. So ancient, hundreds of years old manuscripts and he looks at them and he, he looks for variances or differences between them. And, and Bart Ehrman went through school at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. He started there. And he transferred for his postgraduate work to Wheaton and then eventually he found himself at Princeton. At each change, he found his faith being eroded away. Partly because those schools were more and more liberal. As he, as he progressed, they were more liberal schools, which uh, I've known a number of Christians that have gone through those schools and not lost their faith, but his faith began to erode away. And it wasn't, you might think, it because he found so many errors in the Bible or he found so many contradictions in the Bible. That wasn't why he lost his faith. He lost his faith because he could not, at the end of the day, rationalize how a good God could have created a world that isn't. And if you've ever heard that argument from somebody, many of us have gotten that argument from people, our friends who are non-believers say, I can't justify in my mind the idea of an existence of a good and loving God that would allow all this to happen. Children to be abused. Natural disasters to take out whole cities. And Bart Ehrman wrestled with that and he could not come to a satisfactory answer in his own mind. So he walked away from his faith. He now calls himself a happy agnostic. Another singer-songwriter, Derek Webb, if you've heard the band Cademan's Call. I've been to a concert or two of theirs. In fact, I saw them in Olivet. Uh, And uh, Derek Webb Following a personal moral failure, cheating on his wife, he eventually renounced his faith as well. And then we have Josh Harris and Marty Sampson. So we see uh, all throughout the, the years of the church, we've seen people falling away. And I wondered about the reasons that people fall away. We've, we've, we've given you a number of them already, but uh, here's a few that uh, Dr. Michael Brown issued. Reasons why people fall away from the faith. The first one he lists is sin. The first one he lists is sin. I shared a quote the other day on, on Facebook. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. If you love something enough, you will find a way to choose that thing, and in the end, you'll find a way to justify your choice, even if you know in your heart of hearts it wasn't right. 
because it's what you want. It's interesting that we, we do what we most want to do. Has anybody ever told you you don't have time for that? I've probably told a number of you, I don't have time for that. What I mean by that, let me just go ahead and get real, real talk. I have not prioritized time for that. Now you're all mad at me. But that's what we mean, right? When we say, I don't have time for that, it means it's not important enough to, to rank, to, to get time on my schedule. I'm pretty busy, so I have to say that occasionally. I don't have time for that. But what we want in life, we, make, we prioritize and we make time for. We find the resources to get involved in. And so what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. It's a scary thing when you've chosen sin, a pet sin, over God. I keep going back to this, but God is most glorified in us, and we're most satisfied in Him. When we find our, our reason for being and our purpose in life accords with the will of God, we, we are the most glorifying to God that we can be. But sin keeps us from doing that. Well, maybe it's a spiritual disappointment. You've, you've had some trial, something come up, and you've prayed very hard. And God didn't answer you the way that you thought He should. Has anybody ever had that happen? Now's not the time to be self, self-righteous. We're all, we're all a mess here. We've all had that. We thought, man, God, I prayed so hard for this. And I believed I was praying according to your will, but it didn't happen. I didn't see that thing move. I didn't see the results I was looking for. And so it's, maybe it's spiritual disappointment in our lives. Maybe it's relational disappointment. We come to a church expecting God's people to be different, to be a cut above. And then we do what to each other? We disappoint each other. I, I told you a number of weeks ago that if I haven't disappointed you yet in my uh, young tenure here, I'm sure that at some point I will. And the reverse is probably true. Go ahead and uh, admit that too. But uh, we will disappoint each other. So maybe it's a spiritual, or maybe it's a relational disappointment. The church is better than any other organism I know at hurting its own. Are we not? The stakes are so high, and the expectations so high that we, the pain doubles when when we're betrayed or hurt by somebody in the church. Maybe you can relate more to this: academic objections to the faith. People fall away because they they can't believe anymore. They say they can't believe. There's a number of reasons people fall away. This is not a conclusive list or an exhaustive list. But it's important how we respond to it. If it's happening in our own heart or we see it happening in somebody else that we care for, that we love. First of all, I would submit to you that we accept and admit the danger of apostasy is real. If we don't, if we can't admit that from the beginning, if we can't accept that from the beginning, we will think that we are not in danger of it happening to us. The danger of apostasy is real and the implications are serious. Now let me go ahead and define my terms here because some people in the room uh, will believe in a doctrine called once saved, always saved. Uh, Others will believe in in the possibility of actual apostasy. Somebody truly was a believer walking away from the faith that they once held. And and others would say, in in a more uh, Calvinistic tradition, would say, uh, well, the proof is in the pudding. Those that persevered, demonstrated that they truly were. And so in accordance with 1 John 2.19, they would say they walked away because they never really were part of us. But regardless of your take, we all know, we've watched people that we believed to be brothers and sisters in Christ walk away from the faith, never to return. And so we have to admit to each other that this is real, the possibility of it is real. 
Not just the possibility, but dozens of scriptures. I wanted to say hundreds. And I actually took that out of my notes because I didn't count them. But, but I am certain that I can stand by dozens of scriptures in the Bible talk about apostasy from the faith. Warnings of persevering and not to, you know, those that persevered to the end. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus surprises some people when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who does signs in my name. Not everybody who does miracles in my name. Not everybody who prophesies in my name. That's a tall charge. So you could say prophecies. You can, you can speak for Jesus. You can heal people and still not be in. Well, don't get mad at me. That's, those are Jesus' words. Depart from me, I never knew you. We've already covered Matthew 13 on thorny ground. The seed is sown on thorny ground. That seed that would like to germinate and grow into a plant is choked out by the cares of the world. And again, we allow that sin in our life to take, uh, uh, take hold of us and allow us to prioritize our time, give it our time and our energy or resources instead of God. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, the one that perseveres to the end will be saved. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, by this gospel you are saved. The gospel that I first preached to you. By this gospel you are saved if. So he's going to hang a contingency on it. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. These are strong words, but they're not my words. Probably the strongest words come to us from the book of Hebrews. And I have watched so many exegetical gymnastics being done to try to make sense of the Hebrews 6 and other passages in Hebrews to align with the system of theological thought. And I want, to, I want to recommend to you that we allow the plain reading of Scripture to be what we, what we, unless there's good reason to depart from that, we allow the plain words of Scripture to speak plainly to us. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible for them to be restored. Those are scary words. It scares me every time I watch a person that I believed to be a brother or sister in Christ begin to flirt with the edge of this precipice. It worries me for them. Because of what sounds like the finality in the words of the author of Hebrews. Don't do it. If you do it, you can't come back. And I, I'm not going, it's not a settled case in my mind. So when I presented those three different options for you, I'm not settled on those things. I will forever be trying to understand what they mean and what these warning passages are all about. But when I see in the news, when I see in the media that uh, popular speakers and preachers and authors and worship leaders, they, your, your job was to bring people to the throne, the throne room, so they can worship. And one day you're worshiping God Almighty and the next day you don't even believe He exists. That worries me for those people. But a plain reading of Scripture demands a serious hearing. Jesus himself, in John chapter 15 and then into 16, he warns his disciples of the time to come. He says, look, the Spirit's coming, but the, all these terrible things will be done to you. And I say these things to you, John chapter 16 and verse 1, so that you won't fall away. Because it's going to get hard. It's going to get awful. At times, life can be difficult, right? 
Each one in this room, I'm sure, could point to something in your life right now. You say, this is my thing right now that's pushing me away from the faith. This is my thing that right now is challenging my faith. This is a thing right now that's got me on the, on the precipice, perhaps the edge of even renouncing my faith. I hope that's not the case for any of you. And I, I'd plead with you if that is the case for anyone in this room, you please would not move to that decision without first talking to me. Allow your pastor to at least give me a hearing. Let me hear what's on your mind, what's on your heart. So serious was Jesus about this that he prayed in John chapter 17, that famous high priestly prayer, he prayed that his disciples be protected from falling away. So we take it very seriously. And I think we need to answer it directly. A number of you shared actually some words by a guy named John Cooper on Facebook. Um, he is the lead singer of a rock, Christian rock band named Skillet. And uh, just to go ahead, and, can I stereotype real quick? Everyone got, got your attention now. All right, this guy's got this rocker hair and rocker beard and some eyeliner going on. He's got tattoos from, you know, all the way down his arms. And I thought, man, if anybody was a, was a, was a poster child for somebody that's going to walk away from their faith, it's this dude with the, covered in the tattoos with the long beard and the earrings and stuff. And, and he was one chastising those that were walking away from the faith. And I, his, his statement was powerful. I'm going to read just a portion of it to you. I should teach us to judge a book by its cover, right? right? We must, he says, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people. The most influential people in Christendom. And yes, that includes people like me. I've been saying for 20 years and seemed probably quite judgmental to some of my peers that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth. I mean, who didn't know everything when they were 20? I did. And now I'm convinced I know almost nothing. I'm sure by 40 I'll be certain that I know nothing. Patience with me. And by the time I'm Ed's age, I would have forgotten everything that I once knew. <laughs> Love you, Ed. But we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the Word. It is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the Word and to value the teaching of the Word. We need to value truth over feeling. Truth over emotion. Now, I have told you this before. I am a holistic believer. I believe that the, the Spirit speaks to us in ways to our emotions that, that the Spirit could not speak to us in our intellect. There's sometimes a word communicated to us in a song that we never would have gotten through our thick skulls in a sermon. And so I can appreciate all those aspects, but we have to value truth. Truth gives us our bearing, our direction. Don't let your emotions lead the way. They're fickle. They're fleeting. They'll deceive you. Your heart, the Bible says, is just, uh, how does it say? It's uh, deceitfully wicked. That ain't good. If that's your compass, it's not a good one. And so we have a greater compass. We rely on the Word and, and the, the prompting of the Spirit. So we answer it directly like John Cooper did. If you have an opportunity to speak to a friend and you think, you know what, I'm just going to answer softly because I don't want to lose them as a friend. 
You can't afford to do that. If your friend is wandering into error, what kind of friend are you to allow them to continue to walk into the buzzsaw of false teaching and heresy? What kind of a friend are you? So you're, you're worried about the momentary social awkwardness with a friend. And you value that more than you value the eternity of their soul? We can't afford to do that. We have to answer it and answer it directly. And now, to be sure, John Cooper is taking some flack. Not everybody is applauding his decision to take to the internet and, and post that response. Uh, but I, for one, applaud him. I think most of you do the same. But finally, we have to guard against it ourselves. Right? We have to guard against this, this constant tide that's drawing us away from our roots, drawing us away from Christ. Do you know that more knowledge is not equal to greater assurance or greater spiritual maturity, greater spiritual certainty or security? What does the Bible say that knowledge does to us? Knowledge puffs us up. Even knowledge of the Bible. And for many of us that, uh, that take Bible study seriously, there's probably a time in your life where your enthusiasm outran your spiritual maturity. And you, you wanted to become a Bible head. You wanted to be able to have all the answers to every question that might be asked, and you cared very little about the person asking the question. But you find when you study a little bit more insightfully, and you ask the Spirit to kind of enlighten you on some of those things, that actually the Spirit, God Himself, values love more than your Bible knowledge. And so what he wants you to do is answer people in love and in grace. Knowledge itself puffs up, but love builds up. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. And so knowledge on its own produces pride, and pride is satisfaction in self. And satisfaction in self, whatever degree to which you're satisfied by yourself, you cannot be satisfied, you cannot find your satisfaction in Christ. That measure of you that's, that's filled up with you, you only have 100% of you to give. And if 20% of you is given to you, that means the best you can ever do on your best day of the week is 80% for God. I don't say that to demoralize. I don't say that to make it, you know, it's just that to, to be honest with ourselves, to look ourselves in the mirror, in, in light of God's word, say, who, who are we really? Knowledge produces pride. Pride, self-satisfaction, and self-satisfaction distances us necessarily from Christ. Beware, Paul would say. I keep, I keep quoting the Corinthians. He, he just, he let them have it. You think I'm rough. Paul, read the book of 1 Corinthians, right? Right, ladies? You're in that book right now. It's like, do you have anything nice to say, Paul? Do you know that one, Paul? Um, but he said in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Beware when you think you stand, take heed, lest you fall. Now, when we are certain that we're, we're strong enough to get through something, we're the, we're the most likely to fall that we've ever been. I'm going to invite the, uh, the worship team to come back up as we close out the thoughts. But right now I want to speak to the person in the room that is struggling with their faith. Uh, most of us, I think, are pretty solid in our faith. We're pretty solid in our belief in Jesus and the cross of Christ. But for those of you that are not, if you're struggling to believe... Perhaps because of a sin in your life that has made you feel unworthy of being a son or daughter of Christ. Let me just say this, you are unworthy, and I'm unworthy. But, but the cross made our worthiness no longer a question. 
Maybe it's an excuse you're using to stay away. Maybe it's a spiritual disappointment. You, you found a period of time you were, you were very enthusiastic about your faith, wanting to share your faith, and, and God didn't do all the things that you thought He should do to reward you for that season in your life. And so now you're disappointed spiritually. You get this thing that's really uh, a, a difficulty in your life, and you're praying about it. You're on your knees constantly about it. And for all intents and purposes, it doesn't seem like He's showing up. It doesn't seem like He's answering that problem. As time is ticking, an opportunity for Him to answer is, is passing away. I have never experienced when I thought God should have answered A, instead He answered B, that B wasn't better than A. Amen? Each and every time, if He doesn't answer the way that you think He should, He's got a better answer in mind for you. And so often what that answer is, at least in the interim, is growing you up, maturing you, building you up, making you a better you than you were yesterday. Let him do it. Maybe it's a relational disappointment. You were hurt by the church. Join the club. Most of us have been. But Jesus still loves the church and gave himself for it. Maybe it's an intellectual dissatisfaction. You've got too many questions. There are too few answers. I've spent a good portion of my adult life wading through those questions and answers, and I would love an opportunity to talk to you. If there's something that's challenging your faith, please don't let the challenge be once and done, and then you walk away. At least look to see what the church has to offer in response to it. Those conversations are, are happening. The real talk is being had. Don't be easily persuaded to walk away. The stakes could not possibly be higher. Eternity literally hangs in the balance. So persevere, don't fall away. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the mic working the whole time. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you give us day in and day out, those things that we don't even think to thank you for. Lord, I, I want to pray specifically for that person in the room who is struggling in their faith. And for them, this is not just a slam dunk case. This is not something they can just muscle through. Father, I ask you to make yourself real to them this week. I ask you, Lord, to be mighty in their life this week. Lord, I ask you to use us in whatever capacity we could be to be, to be that force in their life this week. That they would not walk away from the beauty and the majesty of your kingship. Because a question wasn't answered. Help us, Lord, to be willing to wrestle with those tough questions with people where they really are. Help us to love people where they really are. Help us, Lord, to persevere. We pray these things in the matchless name of your Son. Amen.